Chapter 21 Ivory Towers Loran, scholar of Argive, arrived at Teresia City in the early summer of the fifth year after Yodia's fall. It had been a long journey, from Penrigan down to Corlys, then west by coast-hugging boat across the storm-tossed shielded sea, north to Tomakul, and finally west over the wastes of the desert by Camel to the borders of the city-state itself. Loran wondered if, had she known the true distance of Teresia City from Argive, would have left her home at all. Indeed, many of her fellow nobles had tried to dissuade her from the journey, but she could not remain in Penrigan. War fever had seized the nobility, a disease that apparently clouded the mind and convinced those infected by it that Urza, who had failed to save Yodia, was nonetheless their salvation from his brother's hordes. Loran was less than convinced, yet in the drawing room and councils of Penrigan, her doubts were met by indifference at best and scorn at worst. She had opened correspondence with the Archimandrite years before, and when the Tarissian scholar extended an invitation to her, she knew she would take it. Now, after long months, she stood at the gates of the great ivory metropolis. Tarissia City rose above the neatly cultivated fields that surrounded it and was visible from miles away. The city was a gem set in a great ring of white stone. Its roofs were glass and crystal, and they scattered the sunlight like prisms, surrounding the streets below with rainbows. When the hard winter rain struck, Lorraine was assured by her guide the entire metropolis would rattle and resound like a shaken tambourine. The city walls were of white stone, hauled from the distant Colican Mountains to the north by dwarves and their giantish slaves. Great towers of similar white stone ringed the city. They reminded Lorraine of chess pieces left behind by some idle god. Even those towers were works of art, for they were lovingly decorated with bas-reliefs of mythological beasts, winged lions, and elephants. It was within one of those ivory towers that Lorraine was to meet the supposed mistress of the Order of the Ivory Towers, the Archimandrite of Teresia City, first among equals of the Tower Scholars. Lorraine had no idea which tower belonged to the Archimandrite, but she inquired at the city's main gate. She hoped to send word of her arrival, then to settle in some inn within the city. Standing by the main gate was a broad-shouldered bearded man with a wide-brimmed hat and a walking stick. As she spoke to the guards, the man removed the hat and mopped his brow with a rough handkerchief. He turned at the sound of her voice. You seek the mistress of the towers? He asked. Come, I'm heading there myself. He turned away and walked a few paces, and Loran noticed he was lame in one leg. He hobbled along, resting heavily on a short metal stave. The man stopped and turned and looked back at the woman. Argivian, by your accent, he noted. Loran nodded, puzzled. You would not be Loran, scholar from Penrigan? I would be, replied Loran. But you have the advantage of me. The man turned and limped back toward her. Loran met him halfway. Feldon, he said, bowing over her offered hand. Another scholar like yourself. You understand how I realized it was you? Loran paused for a moment. I don't suppose there are many Argivians this far west. Feldon nodded, and Loran noticed he wore his long hair, swept over his ears, without a braid. In the warmth of the region, it was no surprise that the man was sweating profusely. Feldon said, Your arrival has been expected. Come. Let us see the Archimandrite together. Loran motioned toward her guide, still standing by his camel. I have still to find lodging. Ah, allow me, said Feldon. He hobbled forward two paces and ejaculated a rapid string of Falaji words, accented in a dialect that Loran did not know. The guide responded in kind, and Feldon fished a coin from his heavy coat. He tossed the coin to the guide, who caught it with a deft motion, smiled, and bowed. You're staying at the same inn I am said Feldon, turning back to the Argivian scholar. 
don't worry. If your god has been less than an honorable man, you would have not gotten this far. Come along. And with that, he limped forward again. He reminded Loran of a bear, of a great bear, she thought, that accidentally wandered out of the mountains and had been mistaken for a human. She smiled at the thought and quickly caught up with him. The last was easy, since he paused every few steps to mop his brow and to complain of the heat. You are not from Teresia City either, said Loran. Northern Uplands, near the glacier, answered Feldon. Came down to check the libraries. Useless things. The libraries. Couldn't find any runes that matched. Matched? Loran asked. This, said Feldon, holding up his metal walking stick. The head had been twisted in an ornate curve. It's a staff, Loran said. More of a cane, returned Feldon. But look along the shaft. Loran reached out and steadied the proffered object. Along the length of it were markings, little more than scratches, but definitely organized in a recognizable pattern. They aren't Thran, she said at last. Nor are they dwarven or goblin, or anything else that anyone recognizes here, said Thaldan. Found it in the glacier. I've been studying it. The cane? asked Loran. The glacier, said Thaldan with a broad smile. The big one that pours into Ronum Lake. Glaciers are frozen rivers, you know. And they move. Glaciers do. Not that you notice, but they slowly come to the mountain, scrap and clean the land in their path. Found this one at the base of the glacier, and I've seen others buried within its heart. Feldon continued his lecture as they continued around the perimeter of the walled city. They passed the first tower and came to a stop at the second. Feldon bellowed another string of words at the female guard before the door, this time in a language Loran did not even recognize. The guard bowed and stood aside for Loran and Feldon to enter. Sumifin, he said by way of explanation. They have a tonal quality to their language and make discussion quite maddening sometimes. The same word has several different meanings if you vary the pitch. You study languages? asked Loran. When I'm not studying glaciers, replied Feldon with a private smile. Actually, I end up knowing so much about the language because I needed to know more information about glaciers and could not read the old scrolls or hear the old tales in their original tongues. So I learned language as a matter of course. Your specialty is artifacts, correct? Old Thran devices, Lorraine specified. Like the two brothers, grunted Feldon. Mishran, what's his name? Urza, said Lorraine. Dangerous things, artifacts, said Feldon and there was something in his voice that made Loran wary. By this time, they were past the reception hall and in the main room. The chamber was longer than Loran had expected and was dominated by a heavy table of lacquered oak. The walls were lined with glass-fronted bookshelves, within which were locked all manners of folios, scrolls, librams, and curios. Already the keeper of the tower, the Archimandrite herself, was moving toward them. Gliding would have been a better term, for the Archimandrite, a sliver of a woman with a pale and narrow face, did not seem to walk as much as she hovered above the stonework floor. Her long black hair spilled down her back in a single fall. Loran thought of the way she had worn her hair as a girl back into Acacia's camp. That seemed a lifetime ago. Good Felden, said the Archimandrite. Her voice was soft, but firm. Loran could sense at once that she was used to others quieting in order to hear her. The sweating scholar managed another low bow, then turned his entire upper body toward Loran. Gracious Archimandrite. May I present, Loran, the Argivian, 
scholar of Thran artifacts. Also a woman kind enough to not interrupt while I go on about my glaciers. The Archimandrite curtsied gracefully, and Lorraine returned the courtesy. It is good you have arrived, the woman said. Let me introduce you to the others. The others consisted of a bald couple, man and woman, seated at the far end of the table. The man, a rotund little fellow, rose as they approached. Lorraine extended a hand, but the man instead slapped both hands across his chest, his fingers touching his breastbone. Lorraine took this as a greeting and lowered her hand accordingly. Feldon smiled at the exchange, and the Archimandrite made no mention of it. Drafna, founder of the College of Latnam, said the bald man. The seated woman made a small coughing noise. It was little more than a clearing of the throat, but Lorraine and Drafna noticed it. Drafna cleared his throat and said, Co-founder of the College of Latnam. That brought another small cough, and Drafna began a third time. Co-founder of the present incarnation of the College of Latnam. He turned and looked at the woman, who said nothing but merely smiled. My wife and co-founder, Hercule. Lorraine curtsied, and Hercule made the same breastbone touching greeting as her husband. Hers was both more graceful and more tentative. Lorraine stared at the ball woman. She had almond-shaped eyes, and ornate designs had been tattooed into the bare flesh of her shoulders. The Archimandrite motioned for Lorraine to take a seat, while Felnau pulled out a great, dark oak chair for himself, hung his hat on one of the posts jutting from the headpiece, and lowered himself down, gripping his cane as he did so. I thank you for the invitation, Mistress of the Towers, said Lorraine, and I should tell you at the outset that I come with the knowledge of the Chief Artificer of Argive, though not as his representative. That would be what's-his-name, said Feldon. Erza, said the Archimandrite levelly, and raised her hand to signal the servants. The Archimandrite seemed young to Loran at first blush, but now she realized the woman was older than she. The grace of her movements had been honed by years of practice. A servant, another Sumifin, arrived with coffee. It smelled of honey, and was not as thick and syrupy as the phalaji mixtures with which Loran was familiar. Despite the lack of official authorization, continued Loran, I have brought along the notes on Thran artifacts that the Argivans have collected over the years, culminating Tokasia's notes from her digs. She turned to Feldon. Tokasia taught me what I know about artifacts, and she also taught me about Urza and Mitra. To the Archimandrite, she said, Unfortunately, Urza would not allow me to bring any information about his own work. I had to travel innumerable miles of land held by his brother, and he feared that any data sent might fall into the wrong hands. Understood, said the Archimandrite and in that word, made sure that Loran knew there would be no more questions concerning Urza's work, at least not at this meeting. But you do carry other knowledge that is valuable to us, the Archimandrite continued. You knew the brother artificers as children. Yes, said Loran, though I was very young at the time myself. Did they hate each other even then? asked the mistress of the ivory towers. Loran paused and thought for a moment. No, they were rivals. I suppose. All brothers are. Urza was smarter, or rather more studious. Misha was nicer. He'd get along better with others. This would be the same Misha that leveled Krug, inquired Feldon, his voice dripping with irony. The Archimandrite ignored him, instead saying, But they did not hate each other when you knew them. No. Loran turned to Feldon. But they have changed. I have not seen Misha since Tokasia, our mentor, died but he is said to be a cruel desert warlord, a demon to the Argivans and Corlysians alike. Is he? said Drafna. Loran shook her head. 
I cannot say what he is now or why, but it is difficult for me to equate the young man I remember telling stories by the fire with the butcher of Krug. Times change for us all, said the Archimandrite. But what of his brother? What of Urza? Moran shook her head. Urza has been hurt very, very badly. He seems to have pulled back into himself. I talked to him just once to tell him that I was making this journey. He was not cold, but detached, as if everything was a cryptic message that could be solved only if one had the right cipher. The Archimandrite leaned forward in her chair. So, you do not think there will be a resolution between the two without further conflict? No, said Lorraine flatly. I do not think there will be. In Argive, when I left, they were building a string of towers along the borders, filled with clockwork soldiers of Urza's design. There are new mines across the hinterlands, and most of the streams have been damped to provide additional power. When I passed through Tomaku and Digon, porches of Mishra hung everywhere, and people felt he would lead them to a great and powerful future. No, there will be no resolution without war. Told you, said Feldon. The Archimandrite frowned. What does it matter with two screaming brats on the far side of the continent? said Drachna sharply. It does not involve us at all. Let them brawl and leave us to our own work. If they would rather fight than study, is it our responsibility? It's more than that, said Feldon. Things like this have a tendency to spread. First it's the Falaji against the Yodians. Now it's the Argivians and the Corlysians. How long before we get dragged into things on one side or another? The Kadir of the Falaji is facing eastward with his forces. We are to the west. We are not his worry, said Drafna. Really? snapped Feldon at the bald man. I was talking to a Serenth merchant this morning. Apparently Misha's devil girl apprentice, Ashad the Uncaring, was in Serenth, negotiating for timberland and mineral resources of the state. Apparently, the negotiations consist of Misha giving Serenth the choice of either handing over the goods or having the Falaji come and take them. I'd like to see them try, offered Drafna. That's what the Zagoni said, muttered Felnan. And they're being bled dry as a vassal state of the Falaji domains. The Yodians, too, for that matter. The Kadir's representatives have approached Teresia City Council as well, said the Archimandrite softly. They have been politely refused. What will happen when they arrive with their dragon engines at our gates? Or at yours, Drafna, asked Feldon. The co-founder of the College of Latinam made a harumphic noise, but said nothing. Teresia City is an ancient place, said the Archimandrite. Speaking to Lorraine, but for Drafna's benefit. It has many defenses. The great white towers that ring the central city are but one of them. But these defenses are old, and might not be sufficient to withstand an assault from without. Our people have been at peace for longer than any remember, and they have no love for war. It doesn't matter if you love war or not, said Drafna. If one is coming your way. Exactly, thundered Feldon. That's what we need to prepare for. Otherwise, the various Western nations and their knowledge and scholars will be picked off one at a time. You could ally with Urza, said Loran, since Amisha is your closest fear. The Archimandrite and Feldon looked at each other, then at Loran. What does name may be as bad as Mishra? said Feldon. The example of his defense of Yodi is not encouraging. We do not want to avoid one master, merely to accept another, said the Archimandrite, softly but clearly. Lorraine thought about the mistress's words. That's true, she said. I'm afraid Corlys has become little more than a province of Argive. More and more of its decisions come from Penrigan in the name of coordinating the war effort. 
Exactly, said Feldon again. We have to find a third path. The Archimandrite leaned forward, and Lorraine felt herself drawn forward as well. We have many scholars within our walls, and no more scattered throughout the western part of the continent. I propose we gather them here to form a union, a conclave, a gathering of knowledge that is able to stand up to either of the brothers' machines. I know several Serenthinian scholars who started packing the moment Ashdod arrived in their capital, said Feldon. And there are some shaman and witchwomen from up near the glacier who could aid us as well. The reputed song mages of Sumifa might cooperate, as well as astrologers and diviners who fled Zegon, added the Archimandrite. No, said Drafna. The others looked at the ballman. No, he repeated firmly. This is not for us. Latnam is far enough away that we do not have to worry about desert tribes. We are not interested. There was the shadow of a cough, so quiet, none would normally hear it. Drafna looked at his wife, who cleared her throat again. Feldon raised an eyebrow, and the Archmandrite kept her face a passionless mask. Drafna scowled. I meant to say, we shall see, said Drafna, shooting a glare at the other scholar of Latnam. I have reservations, but we will make all resources and knowledge available. He took a deep breath and laced his pudgy fingers together. After all, we might learn something as well. The Archimandrite turned to Loran. And you, Loran of Penregan, will you join our union? Loran sat silent for a moment. She had come seeking knowledge, but was it knowledge that might be used against either of the brothers? Didn't she owe Urza and Mishra more than that? Could she turn over copies of Tokasha's notes to people who, even with the intention of defending themselves, would search them for a way to defeat the brothers? She thought of the ever-growing mines and factories that filled her homeland, and of other noble families that seemed determined to declare Urza their patron saint. Of the Falaji who seemed to have defied Mishra, would Tokasya want either man to use the knowledge she had taught them in that fashion? Loran took a deep breath, like a diver about to plunge off the pier. Yes, she said at last. I will join you.